Good evening, everyone. Like Josh uh, mentioned, my name is Braden. Uh, some of you more than likely don't know me. Uh, I've gotten to speak once before, and it was whenever I dogged Merrick on the stage, so I'm really surprised that he brought me back. But he was deathly ill that one time, and he got me to speak this time, and I think his son got sick today. So I'm probably never, this is my last shot with you guys. For the like, well-being of his family, this is it. So I'm just, we're supposed to talk about some misconceptions. We're talking about health. I'm just kidding. Well, I mean, maybe. Uh, my name's Braden. Uh, I get to manage the depot. That's one of my many hats here at First Baptist. I also work with the youth ministry here. Um, but I have a heart for college students. The Lord did a mighty work in my life uh, in college. He just, on, he saved me in college. He showed me my faults in college, and he set the trajectory of my life in college. So I have a heart for the stage of life that you're in right now. Um, I'm excited to be here tonight. I'm humbled. Uh, I'm just glad, you know, Merrick, he's even alive and well, and I still get to bring the word with you guys. So I get to continue on in his series, Misconceptions. I'm going to ask for us to pray one more time, and then we're going to dive into it. So will you bow your heads with me real quick? I just want you right now to take a minute and pray for yourself. Pray that all your distractions with school, with friends, with family, with work, homework, whatever it may be, pray that those distractions right now just fade from your mind. Ask God in this moment, right now, to speak to you, to bring you a word and to give you direction on a subject. Ask Him that your sole focus is walking away from tonight knowing what He has for your life. Now I just ask that you pray for me. Pray that my distractions in my life, they fade away. Distractions with my work, with my relationships, with my job... Everything I have, just all those things in my mind, they fade away. And that in these next few moments, my sole purpose is to bring His Word to you. Heavenly Father, we love You and we praise You. Father, I thank You for the opportunity that You've given me to bring Your Word to these students. I pray tonight that distractions in my mind and my heart, they fade away, and I bring your word. I pray that the distractions in the minds and the hearts of these students, they fade away, and they hear what you have for them. I pray that you give me clarity and direction, and that you are praised tonight. We love you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we're continuing on in our series, Misconceptions. And the misconception for this week, I think we'll have it on the screens, the misconception is that if I am a Christian, my life will be easy. I didn't get the fun science one last week, which is good. I'm not as smart as Merrick is. If I am a Christian, my life will be easy. Upon reading this, you may not think that you have this misconception. I think if we're honest with ourselves and we look at this, we say, ah, this isn't really going to apply to me. But I think in the core of all of us, this is something that we struggle with. Listen to it this way, all right? I don't preach here on a regular basis, so I have the power to say this. 
In three weeks, if you come to Awaken, it's quarter break, so it doesn't really make sense, but just play with me. Three weeks, if you come to Awaken, I will give you, or there will be somebody, Merrick and his team will give you a $100 bill. If you come to Awaken, you will get the possibility at a $100 bill. And we'll have enough $100 bills for everyone in this room, okay? But we're not just saying just because you're not, you're eligible. Anybody is eligible. We'll put posts on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, MySpace, we'll bring it back. And we will let Tech Campus know that in three Wednesday nights, $100 is available to anybody who steps in these doors and stays for the service. $100 to a college student might as well be a million. I mean, that's like, for Josh Moore, that's like 20 Taco Bell runs, man. Like, that is a godsend. That's his provision for your life. We would have a 1,000 people here that night. If they honestly believed that if they walked in this door, they would get $100 whenever they left. We'd come to the last song, everybody's hands would be up because they're like, I'm about to get $100. Like, this is great. See, and here's what happens. The service ends and I come up on stage because I promised you this, so I have to at least be here. And you're looking for me for $100 and I say, all of you will get $100. And I raise that door, and you see a gauntlet like on Mario Kart. It's like Rainbow Road out there or something. It's wild. There's pits of lava. There's like swinging axes. I don't know, sumo wrestlers trying to get you off. And I say, a mile down the way from here, there's a man with enough $100 bills for every one of you. You would look at me with such disgust. You would tell me that I lied to you. You would tell me that I was scum. You wouldn't trust me. Anything I had to say from that point would be nothing. Because in your own mind, you perceived what getting this $100 would look like. You had your own mindset saying, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk, I'm going to come in, and bang, I get the $100. But I never told you what it really was going to look like. This is what we do with our Christian walk. Culturally, in the fiber of our being, we just imagine that we come to Christ and bang, it's there and we're happy and we never see a hard time again. But see, what this can do is it can wreck our lives. Whenever tragedy strikes from this, You lose a grandparent. You lose a parent. Heaven forbid you lose a husband or wife. A son or daughter. A brother or sister. You look at God and you say, I thought you promised me an abundant life. I thought you promised me that this life was going to be easy and worth it. And you get disdain at Him. You lose trust for Him. You have this picture of of what Christianity looks like, and whenever it doesn't fit the mindset that you have, you get angry, you get confused, you lose trust, and it's all because you have allowed these things to come into your life. See, because this is the misconception that a Christian life will be easy, and that is just plainly not true. Tonight, we're going to be, if you have your Bible with you, we'll also have it on the screens. We're going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians. 
And in this book, we see what Paul kind of has to say about what the life of a Christian really looks like. What does he say? And the first thing that he says is that though the Christian life may not be easy, Christ does not call us to an easy life, but he calls us rather to a faithful one. We're looking in chapter 12 and starting with verse 5. It says this, On behalf of this man I will boast, this man being himself, but on my own half I will not boast because except of my weaknesses. Though if I should boast, I would not be a fool, for I'd be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from being conceited because of my great and sur- my surpassing greatness of revelations, a thorn has been given to me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I've pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content in my weakness, in my hardship, in my insults, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul here is talking to this group of Corinthians, and he's saying, look, I have all the reasons in my life to boast. He says, I mean, he says it right here, I have been given great revelation Right before this, he's talking about himself and the fact that he's talking about his encounter with Christ, how he was blinded on the road to Damascus. He talked with Christ after he had ascended and he lived to tell the tale. He says, I didn't go mad. I didn't go crazy, but I got a word from the Lord. And basically he's building his character, but he says, building his character, building his credibility. But he says in all of this, he says, to keep me humble, I've been given this thorn of the flesh. A lot of scholars have a lot of different reasons of what this thorn in the flesh may be. Some people say it's a spiritual-like dilemma. Maybe he has doubts deep in his heart about something, and you know, they say that spiritually he was constantly at war in his heart. A lot of people say, rather than a spiritual dilemma, that it was a physical one. Paul could have had a possibility of some type of physical impairment. Martin Luther believed that he had epilepsy and that he would get bad attacks and at some point he would be crippled to the point of just not being able to go on his mission work and he'd have to take a break. Some people believe that the Damascus Road experience gave him horrible eye troubles. He got blinded and he had scales on his eyes and they said that that was a constant battle for the rest of his life. A lot of people, probably the most common belief is that he had a diagnosis of malaria. Not a malaria that necessarily killed him off bat, but a malaria that would flare up at points in times and he would have these raging headaches. So much that it crippled him. And they said people of this day, they felt like their head was literally on fire. Sounds terrible. And some even more say that it was just the persecution that Paul faced that this was his thorn. See, and we see this life of Paul, and we see even more the struggle that he had with it. 
He says, three times I have begged the Lord that he take this from me. He says, three times, not just three days worth of prayer, but three seasons, he's looked down and he's prayed to the Father and he says, God, please rid me of this. And he said, the Lord always says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In the chapter before, we're not going to put it on the screen, so I'm not even going to read it more. I'm going to show you more what the life of Paul looks like. He says, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. This is what Paul's life looked like. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. The punishment that ended in death. He said, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Night and day adrift at the sea on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, and dangers from Gentiles. Dangers in the city, in the wilderness, at sea, and from false brothers. In toil and hardship and many sleepless nights. In hunger and in thirst without food. In cold and exposure. And apart from all these physical things, my anxiety is unbearable for all the churches that are under my influence. But he says, Who is weak and I am not weak, and who is to fall and I am not indignant. He is saying, In everything that I've done, I still look at you. I still look at this church, and I still have a heart for you, and I still have a power. And I still get angry whenever you are wronged. See, at some point in life, in the Christian walk, we took the life of Paul And we got it misconstrued to the life that we live now. We live in beautiful Ruston, Louisiana. I went to a meeting today and it was was called Louisiana's College Town. I've never once heard it called that. But that's like the name that Ruston has just bestowed upon itself. It's Louisiana's College Town. And that's where, I mean, it's great. We're Louisiana's College Town. I'm going to make a t-shirt with it. I don't really know. Never heard it. But we're in a place where we come... To awaken on a Wednesday night, on a semi-regular basis, hopefully. Maybe it's your first time, welcome. And we walk out of these doors and insults are not hurled at us. Insults are not, rocks are not thrown at us. Rods are not beat upon our backs. And at some point in time, we've just assumed that the life that Paul lived is no longer the life that we are demanded to. But very truly, that is just false. Christ even says this. In Luke 9.23, one of the most famous passages in Scripture, He says, very truly I tell you, I'm going to get this exactly right. He says, if you want to become a follower of Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me. C.S. Lewis writes about this, and he says, this is essentially saying, if you want to be a Christian, you go and enroll yourself in a concentration camp every day. He says, this is a wild, outrageous statement that Christ has thrown upon his followers. Later on in that chapter, people look at him and they say, Lord, we want to follow you. Lord, 
I will follow you wherever we go. And he replies, foxes have holes and birds of the air have their nest. But the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He comes to people and he says, look, you say you want to follow me. Really think about what you are telling me. Because a life of a Christian is a life where self is no more. That's what we're called to be. A faithful life for Him is a life where my life does not matter. He says, pick up your cross. He says, accept the death sentence because the person you are right now is not the person that I want you to be. In that same C.S. Lewis quote, he says, the Lord does not want to trim a few branches. He wants to have the whole tree down. He doesn't want to drill a cavity and pull it and put a filling in. He wants to pull the whole tooth out. The Lord, whenever He calls our life, doesn't simply want to fix your bumps and bruises. He wants to make you a new person. Paul understood this. Paul realized that his hardships, that his beatings, that his bruises, were what he signed up for. He knew coming into it, that he was going to live a life of faithfulness. But not only there, Christ never says that our life will be easy, but he does promise us one thing. He does promise us that he will be with us throughout it. Look again in verse 9 and 10. He says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. In verse 10, it says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with my weakness, my insults, my hardships, my persecutions, my calamities. For when I am weak, then I am made strong. He says, whenever he's begging, Jesus, please, Take this thorn from me. His response is, my grace is sufficient. My mom was a teacher for a very long time. And in her room, she had posters all of National Parks. She was a science teacher, so it made sense, I guess. National Parks, everyone that she'd been to, she'd always buy a poster and put it on her wall. And, I mean, these posters were older than I am. Whenever she retired, she just left a lot of that stuff there because she said, I'm not taking this home. I'm been working for 30 years. I got a lot of junk. And my dad was like, you're not bringing it home. So that was just how it happened. Whoever moved in got a lot of free stuff that they probably didn't want. And I remember walking out of the door, my mom had this, the only thing in the room that wasn't science related or national park related was this little thing right on the door. And it was this script. It wasn't really a scripture. It was like a religious poem of sorts. And it was called Footprints in the Sand. I don't know if you've ever heard about it. It's like it was really cheesy. Um, it had like, it was a beach and it had like two sets. It was super cheesy looking. And I read that thing probably a thousand times. It was right by the door. I went to my mom's class all the time. It was super cheesy looking. So I kind of, I'm going to be honest, this is confessing. My, I made fun of it a lot. But as I prepared for this message and as I thought of this misconception, and as I read through these verses, the only thing in my mind that kept coming was this Goofy Footprints in the Sand poem. And essentially, this is the story. 
It's this man looking at his life, and his life is just a long walk on the beach, apparently. And he says, throughout my life, I've seen two footprints in the sand. He said, I'd go through life, and there'd be my footprints and God's. And he said, but I noticed something strange. As life went on, I noticed there were times in my life where there was only one set of footprints. He says, and then time would come again, and there were two sets, but then another period would come, and there was one set. And he says, looking back on that, I realized where there was one set of footprints was the roughest, hardest, most miserable portions of my life. He said, and I looked at God, and I said, Father, you told me that you would never abandon me, but yet your footprints are gone. And he looked at me with overwhelming eyes, and he said, Son, that's not where I left you, but that's where I carried you whenever you could walk no further. See, there's no question that Paul had a rough life. Whether it was physical detriment, whether it was persecution, Paul's name was dragged through the mud day in and day out. Read the book of Acts. My mentor group did it, and it kind of got us in a rut. It would just be Paul walking into a place and then everybody hating him and he left. And it was, just, just, it was really dark and depressing. We had to start, I don't know, it was bad. He had a rough life. But his answer, the Lord's answer to him, and he says, My grace is sufficient from you, for you. And that sentence alone, we see Paul, he says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in these weaknesses. I will be content in my calamities, in my insults. Paul grasped that the sufficiency of God's grace was enough for him. Paul had the strength with God so that he could travel and preach day in and day out. Paul took beating after beating, but the grace of the Lord kept him alive and kept him able to preach. Whenever he faced opposition, the grace of the Lord sought him through it. Whenever insults and slander were thrown his way, the grace of the Lord allowed it to bounce off of his skin. See, the Lord never promises us an easy life. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's on every like coffee cup and workout shirt there is in America. And if it's on a workout shirt, you've probably cut off the sleeves because that's the cool thing to do. And so misquoted is this verse that I can do anything that I set my mind to and Christ is with me. But Paul sees this and we look at Paul's life and we see that a life full of turmoil a hard life, a life through beatings, abandonment, slander. He could do everything because the Lord never left his side. See, here's, what hap- here's what happens whenever we just assume that our Christian life is easy. We assume that what the Lord has promised us is happiness and luckiness and just giddiness. We hit those hard times and we're so angry. We're frustrated with God. We ask ourselves what we have done wrong. 
Lord, why is this a thing? I've, I've sought after you. I've worked my hardest to be with you. We lose a parent. As a healthy, go lucky college student, we get told that, hey, by the way, you're not so healthy and you're not so go lucky. You have diabetes, you have cancer. Your whole life from this point on will change because of this. And we have two responses. One, to say, God, you have abandoned me and you've let me just wither in this pain and in this suffering. Before we realize that the Lord is standing next to you, He's promised to pick you up and He's promised you can still do all things. My grace is still sufficient because I am still here. Finally, we see one last thing. Christ doesn't promise an easiest life. He promises us that He will be with us, but Christ also promises us that the life that we have is all going to be worth it in the end. Looking again at verse 9 and 10, it says this. It says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Jumping down, verse 10, he says, For the sake of Christ, I am content in my weaknesses, in my insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, for when I am weak, I am made strong. Peter says kind of the same thing in his first letter. He says this, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal, the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though it is something strange that were happening to you. But rather rejoice in so far as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you might also rejoice and be glad that His glory is revealed. Verse 14, it says, If you are insulted in the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief, evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in that name. For it is this time for judgment to begin in the household of God. And if it begins in us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And it says that if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will be that of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let all of those who suffer to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is something that is so countercultural. In studying, and I wasn't going to get this quote right, so I just brought the book. In studying, I came across, this is a book that I skimmed through in seminary. And I didn't think it ever really would apply to my life, but here we are. And it's this sermon that was written by Patrick Mitchell, and he says this. He says, let's speculate for a moment what this, how this looks to us. What a life that embraces suffering, that realizes that suffering is what we're called to. Let's speculate what this looks like to an everyday American. He says, to speculate for a moment, it is likely that such an understanding of the Christian life is counterintuitive for much of our contemporary Western Christianity. The church exists in a relentlessly this-worldly, hyper-capitalist culture that is dedicated to the endless process of generating and meeting 
restless desires for comfort, pleasure, and happiness. In such a context, to embrace and to rejoice in suffering becomes both incoherent and incomprehensible. Suffering is not something to be enjoyed or to salt, but for Paul, it was a welcome opportunity to follow Christ. You're told that you are here at college to make a better life for yourself. You strive and you work because one day you want to provide for a family, a children, a wife, a husband. You want to live well. And whenever you read that this life, this Christian life that's called upon you is a life that's meant to suffer. You're meant to have insults heaped upon you. You look and you say, this is so different from everything that I've been taught. Dr. Terry Coy was my Christian history professor. He was a missionary for a long time in Argentina, and he was well-connected with missionaries all over the world. And if you've been around me, I love this story because it really just wraps just the mindset of Christianity outside of America. He had a good friend in northern China, and he was talking to him on the phone, and they were just kind of talking about their ministries. And the man in northern China said, We've had a very rough week. Half of our church got imprisoned this week. A few of that half got put to death. And we have to, I'm going to be honest, we're all, we're kind of, we're at an all time low, just morale wise. And Dr. Coy said, I'm so sorry to hear that. I'll be praying that the persecution in your country stops. And he says, No, please do not pray that. He says, this persecution has driven us to a faithfulness in the Lord. This persecution has allowed our story to spread throughout the mountains. He says, because while we are persecuted, we are still chasing after God. We are praying that persecution comes to America. Because then you can have the faithfulness and the opportunity that we have right now. It's men in northern China who wished that we would suffer as he did because we would have the opportunity to have the faithfulness that they had. See, what Paul is saying in all of this is that (laughs) this life, whenever dynamically you are living it for him, no, it is not easy. Even if you're wading through and you're not necessarily going all out, you're going to hit hard patches. That is life. Christ never promises us that it's hunky-dory. But Paul says, earlier in 2 Corinthians, he says in 4.17, he says, For this is a light and momentary affliction, that is preparing for us an eternal weight and glory that is beyond all comparison. He says, you are going to trudge through this life and at times you will feel hopeless and at times you will feel abandoned, but that is just not true. The Lord is with you and the glory that is ahead of you, you cannot fathom. There's this guy called Polycarp, the Bishop of Smyrna. How many of you have heard of my my friend Polycarp? 
Y'all are very well studied, honestly. I did, I did not expect hands. All right, a little person of who Polycarp is. Polycarp, the bishop of Smyrna, was the bishop of Smyrna. Don't know where it is. It's in Roman control of the second century. Polycarp was discipled by this guy named Ignatius. Ignatius was, he was called the bearer of God. That's how like one and one with God this dude was. Ignatius is actually believed, we know that this is true, but the boy who Jesus sat in his lap to say that you have to have the faith of a child like these, the boy in the lap, people believe that was Ignatius. So wild, like cool. Like that was a real guy. I don't know. That blew my mind whenever I learned that. It's just, I had to tell you, it didn't really have anything to do with, it was just who discipled Polycarp. So Polycarp was brought up, raised by people who knew their stuff, watched Christ. Polycarp lived in the second century, and Christianity wasn't necessarily just like, hey, you're going to, at this time, we're going to come bang down your door, any person that says they're a Christian, and we're going to rip you out and kill you. But it was like, and Jacob Priest knows this, it's like, an inspection sticker on your car. Do you get pulled over? We're tacking that on too if that's like a part of it. So these Christians, they weren't necessarily sought after, but anytime they did anything wrong, death was before them because that was the penalty for being a Christian. And Polycarp lived his entire life the bishop, but finally he began making too much of a ruckus for the government's liking. And they bring him before the court. And they say, Polycarp, deny Christ and you can leave. And he says, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do it. And, he, and they, they cry, they yell at him, out with the atheist. Because they believe that if you worship something that couldn't be seen, then you worship nothing at all. So they took him to the place where they murdered. I don't know what it really was outside, honestly. And the high priest, the judge, said again, all you have to do is praise the name of emperor and you can walk away. This is Polycarp's response. He says, for 86 years I have served him and he has done me no evil. How could I curse the king who saved me? This man yells at him again and he says, we will set you on fire. Polycarp's response, this fire is for a moment The fire of eternity sounds far worse. So they tie him to a stake and are ready to burn him alive. And this is what this man says. Lord, sovereign God, I thank you that you deemed me worthy of this moment so that jointly with your martyrs, I may have a share in the cup of Christ. For this I bless and glorify you. Amen. I read a story of a man who was literally burned at the stake. And I'm envious of him. His faith, his hope in the Lord was so strong that being burnt at the stake did not take away his joy. His light and momentary affliction had no control over who he knew he was in Christ. He saw it as an opportunity to proclaim the name and to have the opportunity to die like Christ died. He had such a walk with the Lord that 
an F on a test, a parent dying, a horrible diagnosis, that did not change the way he perceived himself. Because he never believed that a life with Christ would be easy, but he knew that the life with Christ was the best life he could possibly live. That man has been studied, written about for centuries. Paul's words have been put across the world because they realize that this life isn't a life called to easiness, but it's a life called to faithfulness and joy and hope and oneness with the Lord. And that's the life that we are called to live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am sorry for the times where I believe that this life revolves around my happiness. That this life revolves around anything else other than my praising of your name. Father, I'm sorry for the times where I've become angry with you because my life did not play out in the way that I had it in my mind. And I'm sorry for the times where I have felt abandoned by you. Father, I pray that these words that you've given us through Paul, that they power us to see that you have never forsaken us. That in your name, we are being made new, and though that is a hard process, it is a process that brings us an eternal glory. Father, I pray that we don't believe this misconception, but we know where our life is, and it's a life that is meant to be lived for you. Can I have your attention for a moment? The band's about to enter into a time of response, and I just have one charge for you. I want you to honestly ask yourselves, have I been resentful for the Lord for allowing me to believe that this life is about my comfort and my easiness? Have I pulled myself away from situations because that's a harder situation? Have I made myself a smaller impact for the Lord because I've sought easiness and comfort. Maybe tonight you're looking at your life and you realize that you have an anger and you have a bitterness towards the Lord because this life isn't as easy as you once believed it should be. Man, I I just want you to pray for forgiveness for that. Tonight I want you to realize that this life isn't easy, but the hope and the joy that the Lord can bring you through it is so worth it. As the band plays, y'all stand and respond as you feel necessary.